Hello, everybody. Chris here with another volume of Indie Talk with Chris and Nick. And as promised, we're going to do this bi-weekly. So please enjoy this latest installment of Indie Talk. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, everybody. It is Chris here again with another episode of the Make It Podcast and volume two of our Indie Talk conversation with my uh, lovely co-host and co-founder, Nicholas Bugs. Say hello, Nick. (laughs) What's up, folks? You make me feel like (laughs) Vanna White, dude. (laughs) Well, you're you're just as pretty. You just don't have the hair. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not nearly as white, so. Mm, but you're just <laughs> as good with all the letters. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> you're, you're, you, you know how to flip a phrase. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's, well done. I like that. Flip. Yeah, no, I knew you. I knew you would. Yeah, yeah well, well played. Yeah. So today, uh, we're going to go into a few topics and subjects uh, as we go, sort of bi-weekly on these indie talks, um, short little informational nuggets for the week for all of the filmmaking community and and independent film and independent creatives and things that are sort of uh, top of our mind, so to speak, and interesting to us. And one of the things that stood out this week was the story of Philip Eumanns, who has the film Burning Cane. And, And Nick, I know you have some thoughts around not just his uh, accomplishment and uh, accomplishments and success, but also how it relates back to uh, brand and um, sort of the idea that, well, he did that. So why can't I just do that? And, and, and he didn't have any thoughts or ideas around brand and, uh, and he was successful. So, so why couldn't I do that as an independent filmmaker? And, uh, I know we both have some thoughts about about that. So, why don't you launch us into uh, this topic in earnest? Into the stratosphere, yeah, man. Uh, for those who don't know about Philip Eumanns, uh, you know, he actually just won uh, best narrative feature at Tribeca, and you know what makes it significant for him is that, uh, well, for him in the industry, is that he's 19 years old. You know, that's huge. He's the youngest ever director to have a feature film at Tribeca. And he won the best narrative feature. And not only did he win best narrative feature, um, but he I think he actually didn't have his director of uh, cinematography. Uh, He didn't have his DP. uh, So he had to do it himself. You know, he had to do it himself. And guess what? He won best cinematography in the U.S. narrative feature film. Wow. Wow. And yeah, and then icing on the cake, Wendell Pierce, who featured in the film, 
won Best Actor in the U.S. Narrative Feature. I love Wendell Pierce, by the way. Man, everybody loves Wendell Pierce. (laughs) (laughs) I don't... He's he's not... uh, He always plays characters that are um, kind of big guys, tough guys, cops, usually... He's done other things. He's very talented. He, he plays people of authority. That's the thing. Like he has a stature about him that allows him to play those roles. Like you said, cops. It could be you know a colonel in the in the army. It could be a principal. You know, at a school, he's always in some position of authority, uh, just because of the way he presents himself, and it's it's awesome. It is. But my point is that I don't think he's very big. Am I wrong? Like he's he's like five. Like he's short, right? Can we look? Well, yeah, that? yeah. I don't think he's like. I don't ever see him as physically big. I see him as authoritatively big. Yeah, that's a that's a hell of a thing to pull out, pull off at his at his size, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but he's yeah. yeah he's connected you know across the industry and and yeah you you mentioned you know kind of in the intro to this that you know there's some ties to branding and this is a, to me kind of like a case study on either purposeful or accidental branding. And based on what I've read about the story, and you know, there's a great article by uh, Tanya Renee Stidham, and I think it's Tanya, uh, but it's spelled T-O-N-J-A, so it could be Tanja. Uh, but I thought she did a wonderful job reflecting on this film and actually just documenting you know, all the pieces of this film that I think is what made it Tribeca-worthy I think the film itself is what won its awards, but why did Tribeca pick this film from a 19-year-old director? I wonder uh, why. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell us, like, tell us what, tell us your thoughts there. Dude. Yeah, why yes. did this happen? So, so one of the things is, you know, first principles. One of the things that you always say the story is king, and I think that 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 of course got the foot in the door. Right, this is uh, an amazing story, um, but. It's a 19-year-old director. This is a big thing for Tribeca to have a 19-year-old director because it's a first. Um, Amazon just recently did it, you know, with a 17-year-old director, uh, making that 17-year-old the youngest director basically ever signed by a major streaming platform. Mm. So, you know, just like that's a boon for Amazon, you know, people are going to be like, well, who is this guy? What is this film? It's the same thing for Tribeca and the industry that there's this 19-year-old director whose directorial debut is at Tribeca. It's it, it won. You know, this is huge. This is part of the brand of this project, this brand of this film, is that you have a young director first time out making it to Tribeca. Uh, the second thing is Wendell Pierce. Right. Like that's not something that anyone should should scoff at or think, mm-hmm. well, he's lucky he got him and all this. It's like, well, no, no, I don't know if he's lucky. You know, it just so happens that, you know, Wendell Pierce is an alum of the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, mm-hmm. which is where humans went to school or should I say goes to school. Right. So humans leveraged his connections in that community to get Wendell Pierce to be a part of his film and that significantly upped the chances of him, you know, getting into Tribeca because Wendell Pierce, man, I feel like that guy's been acting since he was born and he's in so many things. The guy is so well connected. 
and so well respected that his being in this film basically just upped the ante even more for this project. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and once you get a name, uh, sometimes what will happen is, is other people will want to be in the film, even perhaps at a discount because that other name is in the film. Yeah. And, and I'll say this is that, you know, for anyone who pays attention, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, filmmakers who are listening to this have their IMDb pro account. You know, they they follow that stuff. They're looking at the news. They're looking at the um, the scores, you know, the star ratings, the star meter ratings and things. Uh, but if you look on there, you see Wendell Pierce, you know, he's top. He's just outside of the top 5000, mm-hmm. which is huge. Right. OK. The other folks who featured in this film. And, and any- let me and let me stop there because just really quickly. Yeah, so, go ahead. Because people might scoff. So, oh, the, the top 5,000, uh, you know, big deal. 10 million people are on this platform. And so mathema- that is mathematically significant to be even in the top 100,000. Oh, definitely. And I think for anyone who even thinks to scoff at those numbers, go ahead and take a look at who's in the top 100, the top 1,000, the top 5,000. Um, and it's very difficult to deny those positions, you know, and it's based off of, you know, it's, it's current. Those things are updated. Those numbers are updated probably by the second uh, based on social relevance, industry relevance, uh, you know, how well their films are doing. You know, there's just as Netflix has algorithms to figure out what their uh, audience is watching, you know, what their subscribers are watching, you know, Amazon via IMDb has algorithms to to provide this score. Uh, so, you know, getting back to where Wendell Pierce is, he's top, you know, nearly top 5,000. But the other folks who are featured in this film are 86,000, 92,000 and 153,000. These are folks that are not making big waves necessarily in the industry like Wendell Pierce. They're not on the same level. But the great thing about having Wendell Pierce is that he ups everybody else's game. Mm-hmm. Like that's a huge thing for the brand of your film and, the, for, and for the potential of your film is that basically you have a built in mentor for the rest of your team. Right. So yeah. this is this is a huge thing for this film to make it to Tribeca and to do well in the industry as well. And, and people that have followed us might say, well, wait a second, guys, which one is it? Do you, do you need a name or is the star system dead? And I, I think just to clarify what we're talking about, isn't a star system. Cause I think honestly, if you were to walk on the street and say, do you know who Wendell Pierce is? People would say, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. don't think so. I don't think there's a star. Uh, I don't think this is a, a star play. What we're talking about is an influence play and, a, right. and, a, and a talent play. And so would there have been other people that could have taken his spot and would have been equally as effective? Yes. Uh, even people um, that are even less known as long as they had that personal brand of being, you know, super talented and, um, and, and just have great experience, great chops. You know, we had a, a great story that I was told by Sarah Antonio just about how influential Lewis Gossett Jr. was uh, in a film that she was recently in. And we know that Lewis Gossett Jr. is a great actor and he won an Academy Award for an officer and a gentleman back in the day. But I wouldn't say he's a contemporary name now. Oh, no, not at all. But... 
but just that I will tell you that the people in the independent film community that saw his name in the film said, I want to be in this movie with Louis Gossett Jr. Oh, for sure. I mean, again, that's a built-in mentor for one, right? And then the, the other thing that we talked about with Wendell Pierce is there's just influence, connections. You know, if you know his connections in the industry will tell people that they need to be a part of or they need to see this film. That's huge. Right. You know, so that's what you're doing. You're and you and you said it right. You said, you know, his personal brand. And that's what Burning Cane does. It borrows against Wendell Pierce's brand. Right. That's, yes. that's, that's great. You know what I'm saying? This is the type of thing that filmmakers need to be thinking about when they're looking for um, cast and even crew or even an executive producer. Uh, you know, if you talk about uh, executive producers, it's uh, for this film, Ben Zeitlin. Uh, who's the executive producer, and he did uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. And he's part of Court 13 Pictures, which is out of New Orleans, Louisiana. And the film is set in rural Louisiana. So even the executive producer that they got for this film is in New Orleans, is part of Louisiana, wants the stories of Louisiana to be told, is connected in Louisiana, is connected in the industry. You know, Ben Zeitlin has a personal brand that is now attached to the film and becomes part of the film's brand. Mm -hmm. Again, as people are looking, as filmmakers are looking out uh, in the community for people to finance or invest in their films, it's another area where you can borrow against the brand. So it's, it's always great and you're never going to not get friends and family money. You know, you take that money just like you take anything else. But if you can get someone who's an influencer of some sort in your community to invest in your film, you know, they're going to help you get the word out. They might even help you get better talent. They might give you access to things that you might have not had access to before. And that's all part of building the brand and building the potential of your of your project. Yeah, precisely. And, you know, it's it reminds me of um, talks I've had sometimes about health and about about diet. Um, and I know that's a weird connection and a weird place to turn. But I think that oftentimes we think about brand across industries, by the way, not just in film or in the creative realm, but we think about brand as one thing. Um and, and okay, so we got to do the branding, we got to do the marketing. Okay, well, who's going to distribute it? And who are our producers? And what are going to be our locations? And who's doing our set design? And what about our cast, right? We think about brand as another one of those singular things, that one thing. But the way that we think about it, I feel like it's more like health, where it isn't that, you know, eating processed meats is going to cause you to have colon cancer or something like that. It's that, uh, it's the total picture of your health. Like, so you eat processed meats, but you know, uh, and perhaps you don't exercise on top of that. And then perhaps you have a compromised immune system. And then perhaps you live in an area where your allergies are crazy. And then perhaps on top of that, you have some sort of DNA marker that makes you susceptible to certain things, right? So it's this idea that doctors give you of, of the snapshot of your health, which is a combination of all these different things working together to, to create one outcome. And that's what brand is in a film. And I think that's what brand is in general. It's not one thing. It's, it's 
all the things that are happening in your film, the snapshot of your film as it sits, the snapshot of your project as it sits as a whole will uh, and can be and should be leveraged toward your benefit as your brand. And so who are you as a as as a director? Who are you as a writer? Who are you as an actor? Um, what town did you do it in? What influence can the town? What's the brand of the town when it comes to the project you're working on? Um et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all those things come into play and you're able to leverage every single piece of that. And I know for, uh, also for us, when, when it comes to at least two of our films, um, that we were involved in as EPs and, and consultants with other versions of you and wild man, we sort of banked on the fact that, that the two primaries in those films had been working hard their entire career to create a singular, sort of brand about themselves. So when you think Maki, you think whimsy and all of his shorts had a similar vibe. And so, and look, and therefore when you see one of his short films, you know, Oh, Maki did that. You can almost tell by the tempo of it. And with, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And with Ted Welch, his brand is nostalgia through and through everything he does is based on, you know, hearkening back to a simpler time, uh, I love whenever I get the chance to say "harkening back." By the way, um, <laughs> so harkening back, harkening. To, yeah, harkening back to a simpler time and 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 coming of age. That's his thing. That's his brand. And so, if you if you know that going into it, then you can leverage those things for the outcome that you desire. Yeah, and I think you know, on on top of that, I would say that you know, both of those films, just as Burning Cane. Uh, has and both of those films had a very specific purpose. Uh, they had uh, very specific audiences that they were speaking to, and this is something that you know. In reading the press release that was in this article, I was just again amazed by how spot on they were with articulating their brand. You know, one of the things about having a personal brand is having basically a personal philosophy. You know, there's certain things that you believe in. There's certain things in that you promote. There's certain things that you discuss, that you delve into. So when people come to you, they kind of know exactly what to expect. You know, they expect that you're going to to speak a certain way, uh, talk about certain things. The conversation is going to be geared uh, towards certain topics. And in the press release, and I'm just going to read it real quick, uh, it's just, it's fantastic how specific they are. Uh, so it says, Burning Cain tells the story of a deeply religious woman's struggle to reconcile her convictions of faith with the love she has for her alcoholic son and a troubled preacher. Mm-hmm. Set in rural Louisiana, right? So it tells you the place, rural Louisiana. The film explores the relationships within a Southern black Protestant community. Right there, it tells you about audience, examining the roots of toxic masculinity Again, the philosophies, you know, why they're looking at, you know, what's the story about, how manhood is defined, and the dichotomous role of religion within the African-American community. I mean, you break this thing down, it tells you everything. It tells you why they made this film and for whom they made it. You know, it's not just saying something about, you know, like some of these um, romances. Oh, it's a love story, blah, blah. That's not enough. (laughs) You know, it's like... Why this movie? Why is this important? And they told me in this press release, this is important to folks in rural Louisiana. This 
is important to folks uh, who are Southern Black Protestant. This is important to folks who are in the African American community and specifically those who might be on the fence with religion or folks who are heavily one side or the other. They have, they talk about examining the roots of toxic masculinity. You know, so anyone who's ever had to deal with that African-American or otherwise, you know, specifically in the African-American community who can relate to that, that's the audience for this film. So when you look at the brand of this film, it's like, well, what is its purpose and who is it speaking to? Man, if they are communicating with folks in the same way that they're communicating via this press release, they've got their brand set. There is nothing to be confused about. So if you're not confusing your audience with your content and what your philosophies are, what your personal brand is, then it's much easier and more effective to connect with them. Yeah, for for sure. Um, the, and let me just say this because I, <laughs> I, I might I might have mentioned this too many times already. That's why I'm laughing uh, in the past. <laughs> But I'm, I'm a journalism major. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and a great press release is, is a talent. That's a talent. And it's a marketing talent. It's a branding yep. talent. And to have it is so important. And then once you, because once you can identify uh, who your audience is and what it's for and why it exists, uh, you're golden. And I, and I think that if you're going to try to strike gold on your first film, and so many independent filmmakers are making their first film and potentially their last film. Um, it is kind of a phenomenon where the a lot of uh, independent filmmakers that we see and that we're working with, they're still they're trying to make their first feature, and it might be their last feature. And so you don't want to waste what could be potentially your your only shot uh, on a film that doesn't have a, a message on a film that isn't speaking to a larger uh, uh, issue that's sort of larger than ourselves and doesn't speak for, um, and a film that that doesn't speak for a group that doesn't have their own voice. And that's a big part of brand as well. And and, and upping your opportunity and your chance to, to uh, hit a home run, so to speak. So I, I think it's, I think that's, there's something to that. And I think that, that, for example, even with all the branding connections that Philip had here, if the movie didn't have a message that was compelling uh, versus doing, let's say, a rom-com, uh, nothing wrong with rom-coms. I like rom-coms. I'm going to go see the long shot with uh, uh, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron, just like everybody else. But yeah. if his first film had been that, I don't know if it would have done everything that it that it's done so far I, I can't say that that would be the case you know yeah and I would, yeah, I'll speak to that a little bit as well you know there's a with the filmmakers we've been working with there's a lot of uh, passion and drive and one of the things that that we've said and I think we even say on our website is like you know passion isn't going to get you there right it's not going to win the day it's really about what you're passionate about that gets you there. Um, mm -hmm. Because I'll tell you, you know, this humans, again, he's 19. And another quote from uh, this article is that humans cast and crew have confirmed that the Helmers sheer drive inspired them to attach themselves to what looked to be a risky film on the surface, a first time teenage filmmaker 
a low budget, a skeleton crew, among other things that could potentially serve as roadblocks. Quote unquote, ambitious is the perfect word to use uh, to describe humans and his pure approach to art. For that alone, people are looking forward to see, seeing what he's doing. But here's the thing. He is ambitious about his art, right? Yes. But this is what he says about his art in his Q&A session. He says, the biggest thing for me was humanizing the people that I grew up with, despite my ideological differences, just trying to create a full, nuanced, dual representation of them. Okay, yes. so... So he's ambitious, he's passionate, he has drive, and this is inspiring, but it's not because he wants to make something, right? He wants to make something that he believes and has gotten others to believe is important for a community. Like, that's the thing, like, and you, you said it right, like, if, you're, if your film doesn't have a mission, it doesn't have a greater purpose, as an independent filmmaker, it is much more difficult Again, not impossible. We can't speak in absolutes that way, uh, but it's much more difficult to get the traction that you need to get your film onto the next stage. You know, you really need a community behind you to get you there. And yes. that's what humans was able to do through his ambition, his passion and his mission. And this is something that I would I, I drive into the heads of filmmakers that we work with. It's like if if I don't understand that, if you can't articulate your mission and who you are speaking for, then you're going to have a difficult time really building a brand that's strong enough to be attractive to investors, attractive, attractive to potential cast and attractive to buyers and uh, film festivals. Yeah. And it starts with a thesis. It just, it really does. And, and, and again, uh, it, not to beat this horse to death, but, uh, in, you know, in journalism, you're taught to remove yourself from any story and that therefore you're able to humanize all the characters. Uh, if, if we want to call them characters, all the people in that story so that one doesn't become the bad guy or girl and the other become the good guy or girl. But rather, these are two opposing sides that have two different views. And then you let the reader decide, well, when you're a filmmaker or you're a writer, doing that again is, uh, you know, even your villain. As a writer, you always know who your villain is. But uh, if your villain is someone you, you, you don't really agree with personally, it can be it's everyone says it, but it's much harder to do. Uh, than to say, obviously, like it is hard to humanize uh, the villain and let the world see why this is logical and reasonable for um, whoever the bad guy or uh, whatever the opposing thought is in your film, the antagonistic thought is in the film or idea to humanize it enough where everyone can relate to it and say, oh, I see. That's really why. um uh, the Joker in the Dark Knight worked so well. It's like people could relate to the Joker even though they didn't want to. Um, Mad Men is a show uh, that I thought did that really well, as well as uh, Breaking Bad, of course, where you have anti-heroes and you can relate to why they're doing so many bad things. Yeah, um, Warmonger in uh, yeah. Black Panther. Yep. Yeah, ex exactly. Exactly. So... Um, that's really that's really the trick to it, man. And and so yeah, this was 
this is a special case study. I think um, if you're an aspiring filmmaker, you should study this. Follow Philip Humans. Many great things coming for this young man, I'm sure. And uh, probably go see Burning Kane as well as um, a study a piece, uh, as, a, as our friend Matt Williams would say. Uh, when you watch a movie, you're working. So that's right. That's right. And I just wanted to, you know, it's a, as a quick summary of this, just, you know, remind folks in this, in this film in particular, you've got a, you know, the youngest director at Tribeca. That's part of the brand. You have very specific mission and message in this film. It's part of the brand. You have a very specific audience as I, as I always say that it can fit on the head of a pin there's no mistaking who that audience is as part of the brand, uh, you know, where this director went to school and the fact that, you know, he was able to get an alum um, to be a part of it, who is well connected and well respected in the industry is part of the brand. Philip Humans himself, you know, his cast and crew say that it's his sheer ambition and drive and purity of his art that got them to attach to what would otherwise be a risky project. That is his personal brand that becomes part of the brand of the film. The executive producer that he got on this film is well-connected in Louisiana and is well-respected in the industry. It's part of the brand. Like these are things, and of course the story itself um, that actually stands out and speaks for the brand on its own these are all part of the branding of the film that then finds its way into the language of things like the press release. It finds its way into things like Q&A sessions where the director talks about humanizing the people that he grew up with and not just talking about the fact that as a first time film director, he's happy to have just made something. These are all very significant parts of any independent film and every independent filmmaker should be thinking about every aspect of their film and of their film project and how it really defines and promotes their brand as they're moving it from financing through production and then getting it out for festivals and distribution. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I'm really glad you you brought this to my attention uh, earlier this week because it is it is right up the alley of what our filmmakers need to hear and study. And I think it's um, I haven't seen the movie, so before just full disclosure, I just put it out there. I could watch it and I could hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, and that's the thing. It's not about it's not about whether we whether we like it or hate it. I will tell you this: that it's about the fact that we're talking about it. It's about the fact that it has won several awards, and it's about the fact that um, because of all this, we will likely see it. Like that's the key, right? It needs right. to be seen, whether you like it or not. You know, not everyone's going to like everything, uh, but if people are watching. That's a big thing. It feels unlikely that I'm going to dislike it. It feels. Oh, like, I, I think it's. I think there's a yeah. very low probability. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a good kind of disclaimer to say. Yeah, you haven't. You're not necessarily promoting the film itself, right? Uh, because you haven't seen it. But you're definitely. I am definitely promoting just what an effective job they've done uh, to build a brand and to to stand behind it and to use all those elements to to win some phenomenal things at Tribeca and potentially win even more as you move forward. For sure. And um, a couple of other things that happened in the last two weeks, I I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Um, 
Well, you know what, before I go into that, cause I want to kind of end on it cause it's a bit of a downer, but, um, the whole idea of, I had a thought about what you said about just the ambition of the project, um, for, for burning cane and how it galvanized the crew. It, it reminded me of, of the story of, of Rocky one and, uh, the risk they had to take and the fact that they had a skeleton crew and, and that there are other examples of this that are historic that, that let you know that this can, uh, happen. It happens all the time and, and, um, it can be quite effective. So on Rocky, they didn't have any crafty services, uh, or any, so, so no crafty, no, no craft services. They would just go get, uh, uh, subs every day. And that's how they would, they would eat. They would just, they would crush that and then just work all day long. Um, they didn't have a crowd for the big fight scenes. So they would uh, bus in people from assisted living. And so if you go back and, and watch Rocky one, you'll notice that uh, everyone in the crowd is elderly. And <laughs> if you really pay attention closely, um, similar to that uh, Starbucks cup fiasco on game of Thrones, uh, I missed it the first time I watched it. And then someone who's really uh, slick and uh, super uh, nerdy caught the, <laughs> the Starbucks cup in the background and it's become a thing. But, but yeah, if you watch the audience in Rocky one, uh, the filmmakers even say that there might even be people sleeping and dozing off because uh, <laughs> we know that shooting can be a really long day, right? Yeah, but this is, sure. this is how they avoided paying extras and, and spending money on that. Uh, and they made it, they made a, and, and they gambled and bet on themselves. Uh, they wanted to make the movie for, uh, uh, you know, all they could get was a million dollars and they went to get the, the money from the studio and the studio said, uh, look, we don't want to, we don't believe you can make this movie for a million dollars. And, uh, Sylvester Stallone and group and, and crew and the producer said, if we spend over a million dollars, we will be personally responsible for every dime that we spend over a million dollars. And it's almost, uh, it's almost, uh, um, similar to the concept of death ground where you take your army, uh, uh, to, <laughs> to land and then you send your ships away and say, the only way off this Island is through that other army. And that's kind of what they did. They said, we have to make this movie for $1 million because none of us has any money if we go over. And so we have to think about how to get shots, how to get scenes. Um, one of the other remarkable things in the Rocky film uh, was that they couldn't afford to. So there was a date between Adrian and Rocky and um, it was at a skating rink and they waited until it was closed and empty uh, because they couldn't afford it was written to be, you know, everyone's there, but they couldn't afford to pay the extras, uh, skates and, and, uh, and clothes, uh, and, and entry fees to the rink. So, so they rewrote it on the fly, uh, waited till the rink was closed and then they improvised the date. And I think people look at that today and say, that was a, that's kind of a beautiful scene, but it, that's not the way it was. It was all budget based and independent filmmakers doing their improv thing and, and, and making miracles on a budget, uh, similar happy, to what, uh, a happy accident. A happy accident and doing yeah. things uh, similar to what uh, Nathan Edwards talked about a couple of weeks ago about using the, you know, the concept of improv, but then applying it 
uh, integratively to your filmmaking process. So a um, long-winded way to say, check out the story of how Rocky was made as well. Uh, if you want to see how to make a really great movie independently on, on a, on a thin budget. Um, but I digress. I was going to talk about another independent filmmaker that passed away in the last two weeks. And that's John Singleton. And, um, I think we think of John Singleton as someone who's super successful and was definitely a, a part of the Hollywood community. But, but when boys in the hood came out, he was just a 24 year old upstart himself. Uh, 23, 24 years old, um, making boys in the hood and, um, independent filmmaker. And again, here's a movie with a message that speaks to a community that doesn't have a loud enough voice to be heard. Right there. That's, that's amazing. Like that right there, the parallel to burning cane, mm -hmm. you know, you start to look at it and you start to, to wonder because there's, this isn't the only film, you know, I think, uh, John Singleton did it time and time again uh, with that same theme. And you can see, yes, there's a formula to this, right? This isn't, these aren't one-offs. It works because you're speaking for someone, mm -hmm. right? If you're speaking for these people and you're being authentic with your voice, they're going to come, <laughs> you know, they will watch this thing. They will tell their friends and family about it because their friends and family are the same. They're in those same communities. It's their voice as well. So Burning Cane, Boys in the Hood, um, Higher Learning, Poetic Justice. I mean, all of these films spoke for communities, just like you said, that were uh, underserved, underrepresented uh, on film and just wanted their voices to be to be heard and their stories to be told. Yeah, for sure. And so, uh, gosh, I think I was probably 14 when I saw 14 or 13, when I saw boys in the hood and, um, it was a game changer for me. Um, at the time I was playing football and, uh, uh, that was a major theme in the movie. And, uh, I, people that don't know, I grew up very modestly, um, uh, great parents, great family, great childhood, wouldn't change it. Nothing going on there, but just, I grew up around people, um, that were poor influences and had their focus other places. And it was very easy to get distracted from what you ought to be doing or what, let's say your family, your parents might want you to do. And so the movie really hit home with me in a, in a unique way. And I would just have everybody go back and watch it again and watch it through the lens of being an independent filmmaker, watch it through the lens of saying this film was made by someone like me who's trying to make a movie right now. Um, so please do that. Um, RIP to John Singleton, who, who, uh, I think influenced a lot of people's lives, um, beyond what he could ever imagine. Um, and by the way, his movie for, um, um, four brothers, Andre 3000 in that, I think Mark Wahlberg is in that, that movie's underrated. That's a good movie. Yeah, for sure. Everybody, everybody should watch that. Entree Three Thousand is super good in it. Yeah. So, um, it's funny how when you're just an artist, you're an artist. Like, I don't know if, it feels like he was always going to be a better actor than Big Boy, for example, in Outcast. Oh, uh, yeah, just because yeah. he's just, it's just something about him, um, something he just has. Uh, we'll never figure that out as long as human beings exist. We won't, <laughs> there'll never be an algorithm or, a, or big data or analysis that can explain why or what creates an auteur. Um, 
we just know it happens. And when it does, we're all better for it. So that's my thoughts for the, for the bye week. You got any parting thoughts for me, Nick, and for the listeners? Yeah, man, I would just say that I just want to double down uh, on the idea that filmmakers should really look at their projects and identify why they're doing this um, and who they're doing it for. And I'll say that if they're doing it because they want to make something and they're doing it for themselves, that's great in the making, right? We're big believers of making things to hone your craft and that's great. Uh, but that is not, those types of projects are not the projects that win. Uh, they're not the products that, that move you forward in the industry uh, from a visibility standpoint or necessarily from a brand standpoint. Those are the products that get you better uh, by you know making your mistakes, uh, networking, doing things like that. But if you really want that, if that next project is the project you're saying, well, this is going to be the one that puts me on the map or this is one that I'm sending to festivals, you know, this is the one that I really want uh, to make it out there, then really look at the purpose of your film, look at the audience that you're speaking to and make sure that it is very specific. Again, fit it on the head of a pin. And, you know, you can have that or that same success or very similar uh, to humans, you know, being one of the, the youngest directors to do it. But, you know, John Singleton did it. There's other uh, folks who've done it. You just have to speak for someone and they will speak for you. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. Awesome. Well, Nick, this has been another great conversation and we'll do it again in two weeks. Sound good? Yeah, man. I love it. This is great stuff. And uh, I really do hope and uh, I hope, hope and wish, I guess you could say, that uh, our listeners are getting the value out of it, that they share what we're saying with other people. You know, we're always trying to spread the word uh, as much as possible, you know, get out there, uh, attach ourselves to the filmmaking community so that they can see that we're advocates for them. So, yeah, man, this is this is awesome stuff. And I'll be looking forward to doing it again. I love it, man. Me too. And uh, remember, if you're out there listening, you want to make a film. Um, now, there's never been a better time. There's never been more demand for content than right now. So, use all the tools. I hope our podcast is one of those tools. And um, go out and make art. Till next time, talk to you guys soon. Nick, thank you. Yeah, appreciate you, man. You guys, take all it right. easy. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative be engaged. And thank you for listening.